0: Let's look now at our all important radar defense screen. But your regenerated circuits are tuned asynchronously, and that causes concatenation in the intermediate amplifier. Initiated startup sequence. Happy summer, everyone. It's Mr. Mehan, and I'm here today to do the English Department podcast sort of in a different uh, way than we typically do it. Um, Typically our English Department podcast is a conversation between two or three teachers in the department to give you some study tips on particular books. Uh, What we're going to do this summer is a series of what I'm going to call five-minute focus. Uh, Once I sort of stop the introduction, um, you'll have just about five minutes on any one of a series of topics, sort of to help you steer through some common reading tricks and strategies that you'll see throughout um, all levels. It can be particularly helpful as you're doing summer reading for yourself. You can kind of think of this as like a mini lesson uh, to help kind of steer you for summer reading, or maybe to get you ready to kind of come back into the school year uh, raring to go. And this is great for freshmen or sophomores, juniors or seniors as well. Um, so enjoy the uh, lesson today, and uh, we'll catch up with you guys next time. If you have problems, tweet at me. I'm at MeehanDJO, and I'm always happy to help you guys out however I can. Thanks again, and enjoy today's podcast. So for today's 5-Minute Focus, we're going to take a look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, It's obviously a very important book, it's a very famous book, um, and there's a lot of misconceptions about what the story really is all about. Um, But for people who are reading it through at the senior level, uh, I think that all the college prep students need to be aware that when you're reading the seniors, look, you guys have done summer reading before, you know how it goes. Be mindful, though, that as you move to your senior year, your curriculum, uh, this is really a lot of self-guided learning, and it's your chance to take notes on or see things that uh, maybe would not have otherwise been available to you at your younger years at O'Connell. Um, looking at some of the texts that we look at over the summer, Frankenstein or um, Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they're classic monster stories, which makes them seem on the surface like they're very simple. Uh, where the senior curriculum is very different, and you'll find very quickly, is suddenly you're going to be digging into these stories about these epics and these monsters, and you're going to be forced to make judgment calls about what exactly monstrosity is, and where the line blurs between men and monsters. And I know that that sounds obvious, that there's like a good and bad or right and wrong and everything, but as you're reading your summer texts, keep that in mind as different characters have different um, shades of gray to them, that it's not always so black and white where you have the good guys doing good things and bad guys doing bad things. Um, Pointing out how we take notes uh, for the summer reading is sort of a great pro tip on how to walk through some of this stuff because it can be really tricky for students as they're taking a look on the summer. They think, well, it's a monster story. I got it. There's a good guy. There's a bad guy. And eventually the bad guy wins or the good guy wins. Um, But actually along the way, as you're taking notes for yourself, there's some guiding questions you can kind of keep in mind. And taking a look at even the first couple of pages of Frankenstein, here is its podcast today. Um, there are things to guide yourself, so if you uh, have a note-taking strategy, it could be really helpful to make sense of the book as you move through it. So if you have a copy of Frankenstein, feel free to open it up here. Uh, Shelley's book is available on the web as well as in print. Uh, there's like 90 different versions of it. Um, all of them are the same chapters, it's just the, uh, the format, whether it's an, an electronic version or printed pages, it might be slightly different. Um, But the first thing I notice when I open up Frankenstein, and I'll take some notes here, is it says uh, on the very first page, it says letter one, um, which lets you know that this is not just a strict narrative front to back. Rather, if you just flip through it one page further, it says uh, letter one, then letter two. You see letter three, letter four, and then as you get past that, then it turns into chapter one. So we have ourselves a chapter that doesn't actually start until several pages into the book. Anybody took my class last year, you might remember. Uh, if we have a story that doesn't start right off the bat, but rather starts after a false start of a story, sort of like a frame um, that they kind of set it up, and then they drop you into the big old story in the middle. Um, you remember that's called a frame narrative, right? That the two outside chapters kind of bookend uh, the middle guts. And in the text we read, if you read *Ethan Frome*, or you might have read—I've uh, seen the movie *The Princess Bride*, for example—a um, frame narrative. Even the movie Elf is a frame narrative. Uh, It starts with this narrator telling you a story once upon a time, and then it flashes back and tells you the story. That's something to keep in mind as you're reading, is to pay attention to what narrator is talking at any given time, and why the author chose to use this sort of frame narrative technique, because it doesn't read like a traditional novel. Um, If you read Their Eyes Are Watching God, that's a frame narrative as well. Um, Think about why the author chooses to use that sort of writing trick, Um, and then as you read through, it gives us different levels of removal from like the actual events of the story. So if this is a letter about a story about a guy who saw or heard another story, then it's like the game of telephone, right? You're passing it down the line. So figure out who's telling you the story, how they're telling you the story, and maybe what their agenda might be in how they're sort of presenting that story to us, which helps to make things feel in some ways more real, but also could help to, I don't know, soften things or maybe make things a little bit, uh, less true. Uh, maybe somebody's trying to hide some facts and that's how the, the letters kind of work. So as I'm reading through, that's a big tip as I'm I'm taking a look here in the first pages. Um, if you look in the very first page, it says, letter one, to Mrs. Saville in England, St. Petersburg, December 11th, 17-something, it doesn't say exactly what, it says, you will rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded with such evil forebodings, I arrived here yesterday. My first task is to assure my dear sister of my welfare and increasing confidence in the success of my undertaking." Um, Right off the break, if I'm taking notes here, first things you notice, start with what you know, right? Um, When is this book set? I have a month, um, and I would underline that, but what don't you have there, right? It says 17 something, but it doesn't say. Now you think about those next levels of the taxonomy as you push up to the self-guided learning for your senior year. It doesn't tell you exactly what year it takes place. It says it was sometime in the 1700s or something, but it doesn't give you an exact year or date. Ask yourself those senior self-guided questions. So why? If he knows it's December 11th, how does he not know what year it is? Or she, in that case, because we don't really know who this narrator is. All we know is that they're having a conversation with someone in a letter, and it looks like they're trying to write to, presumably, their sister. But it doesn't say exact details about that 1700s thing. Um, If you flip forward and you see letter two, it starts the same way. In the 28th of March, but it doesn't say what year. And again, that happens again in letter three and so on and so forth. Um, Also, take a look at what else we know. Remember by reading Gatsby, um, those first lines when you hear Nick Carraway talking, the type of language that he uses can tell you a lot about him as a person. Um, What do you notice when you see somebody saying a phrase like, you'll rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise, which you have regarded with such evil forebodings. There's a lot of big boy words in there, right? Um, That tells you a lot about who this narrator is and the type of person that they try to present themselves as. Um, they're clearly well-educated. Uh, what I could tell from just reading here is that they, uh, when they have a choice between big words and small words, they choose to make things very uh, fancy and ornate. And the type of language they use really reveals a lot about their character. Pay attention to that as you're flipping through. Um, if you just breeze forward a few pages, you can see that this narrator's name is Walton, uh, Robert Walton. He actually writes three letters or four letters. Um, but then as we jump to the chapters, um, The voice of the narrator changes. Chapter 1, for example, um, it says, I'm not going to ruin or spoil it for you, but it sets up this frame, and then Chapter 1 really is like the meat and potatoes of how the story begins. Our narrator here is a different person. Look at the language that they use and how we can see different things about them based on their word choice. It says, I am by birth a Genovese, and my family is one of the most distinguished of that republic. My ancestors had, for many years, counselors and syndics, and my father had filled several public situations with honor and reputation. He was respected by all who knew him for his integrity and indefatigable attention to public business. He passed his younger days perpetually occupied by the affairs of his country. A variety of circumstances had prevented his marrying early, nor was it until the decline of life that he became a husband and father of a family. Right off the break, you're probably going to notice that this person actually sounds a lot like Nick Caraway, only more British. Um, look at the spelling of some of those words, words like honor. Um, Words like, uh, I'm just seeing here, uh, perpetually, uh, indefatigable, integrity. Um, It's very proper, it's very uh, serious, and very sort of stuffy in some ways. This is a different sound than somebody who's writing to their sister in that first uh, bit. And I don't want to give it away about who's talking at any given point, but later on, as we move through the book, you're going to hear even a third narrator. Pay attention to each narrator having their own voice, and as you're underlining or taking notes on things, the type of verbal cues that give it away who's talking. Again, I keep talking about Gatsby because it's a good example. But every time uh, Jay Gatsby talks, you can see that phrase, old sport, right? He uses it a lot. You can, as you're reading through, trace different characters. They have these little linguistic markers, and it can really help you make sense of not only who they are, but who they're trying to be. Um, As our first narrator, Walton, goes, he's on this adventure, and we're still searching for time or place with him. So pay attention to that. Um, Maybe as you sort of work through that search, that journey of trying to figure out who we are, that comes through with our second narrator. And then there's a third narrator about midway through the book as well. Um, And that same guiding question can really help you understand the book. Who's talking? What are they saying? And why are they saying it in the way that they're saying it? Um, Also keep track of the use of the phrase monster. Uh, It comes up a lot. If I'm tracking this for myself and I was like uh, tweeting or hashtagging while I was reading I would take note of people who create or destroy, or monsters who create or destroy, or relationships that are created or destroyed, and how individual humans may behave in inhumane ways, uh, whereas creations may behave in ways that don't really sound creature-like, rather they sound man-like. And it really raises those questions about um, good and evil, which makes uh, ultimately for a stronger read. Um, It's a good book. It's very straightforward in that regard, but it is tough because with the three narrators, it does take some time to sort of peel back those layers. What I would pro-tip for as you're sort of closing out each chapter is treat each chapter like an episode of a TV show. I think there's like 24 or 25 chapters by the whole end of the book. At the end of each one, in that white space between there, or or throw in a post-it note, I think there's 24 chapters, just write down, hey, who was talking in this chapter, what happened in that chapter, and what do we know about them? So like which characters uh, were added to the story or deleted from the story? Because it's like a murder mystery, right? It's a gothic novel. Characters are going to be introduced, and they're going to be wiped out. And that really helps me, as a reader, kind of just keep track of my thoughts. Because as these stories get passed down the line, like the game of telephone, right, we've got to figure out who's talking, why they're talking, how they're talking, and ultimately if we can really trust these stories as they emerge through the um, wrinkles of the, of the fabric of, this, of the story. So I hope that makes sense. Good luck with the summer reading. Um, enjoy it. It's a, uh, it's a good book. It's a dark one. Um, but I think you'll have some fun with it. Thanks, and take care.